Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Strevens. Joining me on the show this afternoon was Rochelle El Sufi. Now, she's a video journalist with City News here in Edmonton and contributor to the upcoming documentary, Veracity, in their own words. That documentary can be seen on Monday, February 22nd on City News, 10 p.m. Mountain. And I'll provide a link in the show notes uh, for people to check that out. So really, as I, as I said to her and as I'm saying again, this is po- sort of part of the series of discussions I'm starting to undertake on systemic oppression and what that might mean, systemic racism, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, Rochelle's a great candidate because she herself has covered stories on racism and racist actions, and she has a lot of insight into these people, or I should say people on on all sides of the issue, people generally. She's a journalist, right? So uh, she came up against it pretty much face-to-face in Pinocchio and then later in Red Deer uh, in the fall of last year. And those stories are, are, are her contribution to that documentary. So she had a lot to say on that. She sort of gives a good historical background on what happened on those days in September. And then she, of course, was more than willing to talk about what solutions might look like and where these problems sort of stem from. Again, no one has all the answers in one hour. Uh, all the answers may never be uh, so easy to apprehend, but it's conversations like this that we start and we listen and we try and take the ego out of it and get down to the at least the heart of the matter insofar as we can see it. With that said, please enjoy my conversation with Rochelle El Sufi. <laughs> Michelle, thank you for making time. Really appreciate it. No worries. So I guess the background here was like I put that post out on Instagram looking for someone to talk about systemic racism. And it was Rod, who we both know through work with City and other things, who suggested you. And so I guess I'm curious why why did why would he think that you're someone who who might have an interest in even having that discussion? Well, I guess for the last few years I've really been diving into the topic of racism. Um, specifically at work, hearing stories of racism, um, people who are affected. And I recently worked on a documentary series with Rod. It's called Veracity, in their own words, which focuses on systemic racism across the country. And it's actually going to air this Monday, February 22nd at 10 p.m. on City TV. So I'm very excited about that. Nice. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really also, like, I'm looking forward to people watching and learning the experiences mm-hmm. of BIPOC people or BIPOC Canadians and mm-hmm. how they kind of differ across Canada or how, how they're the same across Canada. Sure, sure. My yeah. documentary focused on racism in central Alberta. Um, and it took us a few, a few weeks to actually find a topic. Okay. And... I was really passionate about when I learned that I was working on the documentary because it was kind of right up my alley. But at first it was overwhelming because there's just so many stories of racism Mm -hmm. here in Alberta, here in Edmonton. So it was kind of tough to, Mm -hmm. to pick a topic. Tough to pick one. That's kind of sad, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it's actually really sad. Like I had a, I had a, a whole list of angles and topics, and we eventually picked um, racism in Central Alberta. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, it, it was. I won't say it's a fluke, but it kind of just it came to us because um, the day, the week that we were deciding on the topic, Rod and I actually had to drive down to Pinoka, which is about an hour and ten minutes south of Edmonton, because mm -hmm. we were covering a news conference there. And just to give you background on sure. why the news conference um, was happening was a few weeks prior to the news conference, there was this group. They're called Black and Indigenous Alliance. And they were protesting in the town of Pinoka and similar towns about um, they're calling for racial equity in those towns. They've been protesting all summer since George Floyd. Right. Now, during one of their protests, they um, one of their protesters were were hit by a truck. It was like a hit and run. Hmm. And they felt like RCMP were not taking the incident seriously enough. Okay. So that's why a few days later they decided to hold this news conference in front of the steps of RCMP. So when we got to <laughs> Pinoka, we were one of the first people there and we were um, right in front of the RCMP detachment and the group began setting up. And then all of a sudden we noticed um, more and more counter protesters showing up. So just to give you an idea of who these people are, we recognize some of these people. Oh. Some of these people, um, we've seen them in the news in Calgary. We've seen them here in Edmonton. Um, in Red Deer, like they, they do, um, yeah, they are part of some hate groups. Not all of them. I can't say all of them because I don't know all of them, but right. Right. Good. a lot of them are part of hate groups um, and spew hate online. So we recognized a few of them. Okay. Um, part of groups like such as uh, Soldiers of Owen, Odin, I want to say Sons of Infidels, and like the Yellow Vest Movement. Right. Okay. okay. Just to give you an idea of who some of these, who these people are. Now, when it came to the group beginning their, their news conference, they usually start with a land acknowledgement. These people were um, disrupting and they weren't letting them have a word. Hmm. Like they, they brought megaphones, they wow. were yelling at them, interrupting their lang land acknowledgement. Um, they wouldn't allow this group to speak. Like I was there and even during one of the, the questions, like they, I was asking questions, I couldn't hear the responses because they were so loud. So I kind of was trying to read their lips. Sure. And I was just like, okay, I think I got something, but I could not hear them. Like I could not hear their response, which was kind of sad because it was their news conference. Right. Um, and then in one moment that I kind of just remember was one of the ladies who's leading the news conference. She's um, a black woman who's actually from Blackfalds, okay. which is kind of nearby. She was shaking a little bit, hmm. visibly upset. And when she would stumble a little bit, some of the, the counter protesters, they were heckling her. And you could tell that she was upset, but she just, she kept on going. She kept on answering the questions. She didn't let that kind of stop her. Mm -hmm. And I guess, okay, so now it's so, it's so much. There's just <laughs> yeah, so yeah, much yeah. information. It's not like even just one moment in that uh, conference. Cause then after the news conference, everything is over. Mm -hmm. um, we interview the staff sergeant. Um, I believe his name is Chris Smiley. Now, while we were <laughs> conducting the interview, there right. were like before, you know, cameras were on, there were two men on either side of me. And usually okay. that means that it's like reporters or something, but right. it wasn't. These two guys were part of the counter protesters. I'm pretty oh, really? sure one of them. Yeah. Well, and I recognize both of them. Okay. One of them okay. has been, is, a, is part of a hate group. So 
Yeah. So typically when you begin an interview, just like we, when we began this podcast, you ask right. the person to say their first and last name. So that's exactly, and title. And that's right. exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. It's kind of almost like robotic, right? You just, you know, it's, that's what you're going to ask them. Right. And he kind of refused to give me his first name. Oh boy. And I asked him again, cause I'm like, maybe I missed that. No, mm -hmm. he didn't. He, he just didn't give it to me. And I just felt like the energy was really negative there. Huh. So I was like, okay, move on. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna focus on this. I'll just Google him. I'm sure that he'll, his name will show up. Sure, sure. And then, um, yeah, he didn't seem happy to, you know, even be part of this interview, but it is what it is. My last question, I asked him why he couldn't move those counter protesters. And I assumed the answer would be something like, um, um, something like, you know, the, the news conference was on public property. We can't do anything. Like, I don't know. I, I thought right. it was going to be something like that. I, I don't know. Um, instead, he says something. Oh, what did he say to me? He said, are you suggesting one side is more important than the other? Because mm. it's not. Um, and when he said that, I remember I, kind of, I was shocked. And the two guys beside me, that's when they kind of celebrated after. And you could tell they were really happy at how he conducted the inter interview. Right? Sure. So after that whole event, we decided that we wanted to focus our doc on racism in central Alberta. And we wanted <laughs> Keisha Daniels, the okay. one who was the speaker, the one who was shaking, but still, you know, taking questions and mm -hmm. showing her bravery. We wanted to um, interview her right on. And, and we wanted her to tell, tell the story of racism in central Alberta. We thought she would make a very, very good character. And that's how everything kind of sprung and then everyone knows the what happened in red deer but that was all what happened like four days before red deer okay so that's good to know so the the stuff that happened in pinoka was before what went down in red deer yeah mm -hmm. about four days about four days okay <clears throat> yeah so so you standing there as a journalist asking the asking the rcmp officer uh, why didn't you do your duty essentially and and his response is well both sides have a right to be here yeah. Now, yeah. in your mind, I'm thinking you must be thinking like that's really not true because they were there to spread hate and to just like where I guess I'm, of course, <clears> I'm, <throat> I'm not trying to take a side here, but at what point in how far down that road was that cop correct in what he said versus like, where, where's the line in your mind that no, those guys actually didn't have a right to be there. Like, what is it they were doing? <sighs> well, the thing is. He was saying, you know, that everyone has a right to uh, of expression. Mm -hmm. That's what he's basically saying. So he's trying to uphold both sides' rights. Right. And I think why so many people got angry with that, what, what, with what he said, was hate speech, racism. That doesn't get aside. That shouldn't get aside. Right. And so many people don't understand that hate speech is illegal, mm. and saying that is illegal, and that's not free. You can't. You can't spew hate all you want mm -hmm. and that shouldn't be allowed and i guess what you know a lot of people were upset about was this officer shouldn't be upholding their rights while not upholding the rights of um the press conference because mm -hmm. at the end of the day like i didn't hear like all my video like our mics were so great our city news mics were so great so they were able to pick up on what they were saying but when it came to even my the video that I was shooting, like for B-roll sure. on my phone, mm. I couldn't hear anything that this press conference was saying. So why uphold one group's rights who spew hate and then not 
uphold the other. And then, you know, there, people also have a right to gather and protest. Yeah. That group wasn't allowed to do that. So their rights weren't, you know, right. upheld. So I think, I think when you, when you look at it, I think that's why a lot of people were upset. And even me, I didn't expect that response, mm -hmm. but, and I kind of, at first when that happened, I remember I came home and I was really upset. I, I didn't understand what he really said and why he would say it. And I was really hard on myself because okay. I said, why didn't I challenge him on that? Mm. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm not do even doing my job. And I remember I was very upset for a few weeks actually yeah. about that comment. This is before I even tweeted about it. Um, and I remember my, my fiance was like, don't worry. Like you are in a spot where, you know, you're the only person of color in this, in this moment. And it was true. Like I was shocked. And the other two guys on the side of me, they were also, I think they were live on Facebook or something. So it was one of those moments where you're like, I'm not welcomed or I don't feel welcomed. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, you don't feel welcomed. You feel like there's lots of hostility yeah. and you kind of just want to get out of no there. No shit. It's not, it's not and worth I did. it. <laughs> I booked it right after. I was like, Ron, let's get out of here. And that's, that's, a, that's their tactic. That's what they're counting on, right? Is that they're going to suppress, they're going to use fear, they're going to use intimidation and because they don't really have a leg to stand on. It's like, sure, come and express your views, but that wasn't even what they did. They came to suppress the discussion. We're not having a productive moment here at all, right? Mm -hmm. That's sad, though, to think that that cop... So was there fallout from that? Did that cop, was he reprimanded? Did the Pinoga RCMP follow up on that? Yeah, no. Nothing. Okay. All right. So... Let's then, so how much of the doc, the, the piece of the documentary that you contributed to is Pinocchio and how much is Red Deer? Or is it, is it? it I want to say it's half and half. Okay. Because well, what happened in Pinocchio um, kind of was, was the narrative leading into Red Deer. And right. a lot of people didn't know that because another reason why we decided to cover this story was sure. we were the only media there okay there was i think there was local media in pinoca mm -hmm. but that was it and like media in edmonton had covered when the protester was hit so we were we got there early rod always likes to get to these news conferences early you know him an hour early totally. so we were there early thinking that there would be a lot more cameras and a lot more reporters and we were the only camera so that was mm -hmm. another um point for us where we were like this story isn't being covered enough. Right. Like people right. are just, I don't want to say they don't care, but they're just not covering it. So we kind of knew that it was our duty to to do our documentary on this. And right on. The people who have been protesting for weeks mm. all summer and just how they were treated and hear, hear their side and hear their voices. So Right, right on. And that's that's the key. And if I could say that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast now is be less <laughs> less opinionated and more just allowing people to express their side of the of the story mm -hmm. it's it's not my job and as a journalist it it's not always your job to pass a, a moral judgment on these things but you have to express the facts of, that are happening right first yeah first and foremost so let's go to red deer then it was my notes say september 20th was that uh, that same alliance was going to start a protest or a not even a protest but just a demonstration right they just wanted to have a talk about anti-racism uh, in a let's park. Let's talk. That seems reasonable, hey? Let's just have a talk with a few people. Uh, I don't. I won't say a few people. Dozen. How many? People. A dozen. Okay. A few dozen. Um, they were just having a talk on racism, anti-racism, anti-racism. They were also with a few other anti-racism groups. Um, okay. And 
before they even could get there, like before they could even set up, they were like arriving at the park, setting up. And um, like Keisha Daniels, when I spoke with her, she said that, you know, before she even began setting up, um, counter protesters arrived. Mm. And if when you saw, saw the video, like the raw footage, you can see, you know, some these these counter protesters, these these grown men, you know, leaving their vehicles. Yep. And they're, angry and they're pushing people some were like punching people i saw two punches i saw so many pushes um and when i spoke to keisha daniels the day after she was she was very very upset she's she was she said she was traumatized um you know these are grown men charging at them yelling racial slurs and all she wanted to do with her group was talk about racism they weren't even like we kind of called it a protest, but it actually like it wasn't. It wasn't like they were, you know, they're yelling anything. They were just having a community discussion, um, and it was it was really sad. So out of fear, mm-hmm. they said that the counter protesters. There was actually more of them than the the anti racism groups. So out of fear, oh, some backstory. Sorry, sure. should no, add no. this. Go ahead. But so there's been four or five days between the Pinoca incident. And the Red Deer incident. Okay. So there have been um, a lot of threats to this group. I know, crazy. Why would be people be threatening an anti-racism group? Well, we can talk about know. that. <laughs> well, it was it was really sad. I saw lots of these threats because they would send them to me, and they were threatening them. They were threatening they were going to come and like um, drive by shoot like shootings, like, stuff like Jesus. stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know how serious these threats were, like really. But at the end of the day, you're threatening people's family are threatening their lives it's terrifying so when they get there and they see these people and they don't know who's been threatening them it's terrifying and they see these punches thrown and they feel like rcmp aren't gonna keep them safe they they don't want to be there so they canceled the event which was really sad and we did the story no, I don't think anyone else did the story. So um, our story just happened to go viral on Twitter. Right. And the next day, Alberta's justice minister ordered a criminal investigation into what happened. Hmm. And RCMP, the same day, um, held a press conference to talk about what happened. And they said, yeah, we're investigating all of this. And I remember one of my questions was, well, yesterday I did the story and I talked to you. RCMP. Mm-hmm. They told me there's no investigations, and I, I'm when I when I ask people questions, if I'm like unsure of their response or anything, like I ask them the question, same question several times. Sure. So I'd be like, "Are you sure there's no investigations? Like, there's no investigation like concerning the um, the violence, like the violence or how I worded it? I can't mm-hmm. really remember." Sure. But she basically told me, "Yeah, there's no investigations whatsoever." And then it was a different story the next day. You know, he said, "Oh yeah, we have been investigating. We were investigating the entire time, even when, <laughs> let's say, we heard there was a punch thrown. Right. We, we investigated it then and there." And then I was like, "Well, then, why didn't you throw that guy out? Because we have video. We have mm-hmm. video of the same sure. guy punching another guy. So it's it's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know why nothing was done there. Um, and the story just keeps on changing. So right." So, so do you have a sense of what that is? Is it incompetence or is it something deeper? Like there's some racism at the, at the leadership positions of like. Well, from what I've been told from 
BIPOC people and listening to them, they feel that sometimes police or RCMP in those situations can take a side because, you know, well, when I spoke to experts, it's it's one of those situations where it's like one group is calling for for you know defunding police. So you have, so maybe maybe that's that could be something. Right. Um, and then the other group can sometimes be really buddy buddy with police, right? Right. Right. I, I saw that interview you did with the guy from McEwen, Irfan, I think is his yes, name. Yes. And he made that point. He's like, I would hate to think that because, but that's the problem is like those people in that park aren't necessarily calling for defunding the police, but we've decided to lump everybody on the left as that and everybody on the right as white supremacist wackos. Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting because, so, you know, you see what happened in Red Deer during that violent protest and then. A couple of weeks later, same group holds another protest right. in Red Deer, this same same area. And this time it's very different. So you have to ask, why is this any different this time? Is it because there's a lot more national media attention this time? Um, because when I went to that protest, holy, there was, there was barricades around the park. They had helicopters, drones, Streets were closed. Really? We, a, we actually had a tough time getting to the park because there was a lot of uh, street closures. Police, there were police officers everywhere. Um, there was, yeah, so barricades and counter protesters were not allowed to get into the, the, the park, into the barricades. I see. But they did also hold their own like barbecue just outside the Okay, barricade. can I stop? Because I love that. It was like this, whatever they call it, supremacist march or patriot march and barbecue. I was like, yeah. There's some kind of, well, that's funny in some way to me. Yeah, yeah, they held the barbecue. That's and, also, um, yeah. Get some food yeah. before we go spreading our hate, you know? Yeah, and it's like, I've heard their interviews and they say things like, um, we had planned this barbecue earlier before. And I'm like, no, I, why, why are you holding it the same day people are, you know, protesting and like, protesting racism Mm -hmm. i don't know but you could tell you know police would remove these counter protesters anytime they tried to step in through the barricades because they did they tried several times because they wanted to get in right and police would turn them around and then when they um the group was marching um police made sure that these counter protesters stayed away and they like they would have like a even a human barricade to make sure that oh, wow. go stay stay on this side while they marched. So that was so that was really good. So do you would um, you say the police response to this second event was adequate? Was at least made a difference? Um. Well, yeah. Uh, when I spoke to Keisha Daniels, who's kind of the the main organizer, she said that police did their job this time. Okay, that's fair. So what's kind of been the fallout from that? Like. I, I kind of cruised the city news website searching the keyword red deer. And it kind of seems like after a certain point, there wasn't much more to cover on that. Like that guy that threw the first sucker punch did he went, he actually was charged. Was he not? Oh yeah. He was charged. Um, he's facing two charges cause he threw two punches. Um, I think it's before the courts now. I don't Is know it? if he's gone. I don't know if he's gone to court yet. Okay. Actually. No problem. But it's, it's before the courts right now. So, right. Clearly, Obviously, the hate probably hasn't gone anywhere, but there's no, there's no flaring up these days. There's nothing major recently, or in- not recently that we've covered. I'm sure okay. it's out there. Right. 
because um, we spoke about that one activist, I believe her name is Taylor McNally. Mm-hmm. Was this, I might be getting two things confused because they went to another small town recently because there was a guy with the, the KKK hood on his. Yes. Grimshaw. Grimshaw. They went to Grimshaw. Forgot about that one. But <laughs> did she also protest at, at another hearing? I, sorry. And this is kind of into the weeds, but I'm trying to see if there was any fallout from what did happen in Red Deer or if it's kind of just been is out of the news cycle, so to speak. I think it's been out of the news cycle right now. Like the group is still um, working a lot behind the scenes. I don't think there have been a lot of, mm -hmm. let's say protests, but yeah, they've traveled to Grimshaw in Alberta when um, a guy was spotted with the KKK hood. They went there just to protest. Um, and actually I think some of the members are, you will probably see them later today around three o'clock. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going into the rats or the, the, the snake's nest or whatever you want to say, I guess, apparently. So yeah. Yeah. yeah wish. Well, okay. How about that? What are some, what, what would you say to me and that reporter that are going to this today? Um, What's our responsibility? Like what is the media responsibility at this point? Well, I think it's, to cover what happened, I guess, um, to, I think our job as the media is to, is to cover what is happening in that moment. And everyone always says, you know, you always, ha you always have to be fair. Of course you have to be fair and you always have to try and get, you know, both sides. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, <laughs> There's no sides to racism. So I hate when, you know, even when I was doing my stories and my coverage and people who are part of these hate groups would say, well, it's not fair. You didn't speak to this, to the white supremacist. <laughs> why would I speak to this white supremacist about why, why he's protesting an, an anti-racism mm. rally? You know what I mean? Like, I think we also have... I think we have a duty to, uh, I think we have a duty to, um, to tell these stories, but also to, to represent BIPOC people and to represent them accurately and why they're there. So instead of, you know, basically I've seen so many media reports who will, you know, report on something similar to this story. I haven't really been into the weeds in this story, but who will report on um, a protest being organized by hate groups. And they right. don't say that. They just say uh, a protest hmm. um, was, was, ha was happening here. But they won't, you know, they won't call these hate groups out for, for what they are. Or if there was a racist rant and we're all doing the story, every media in the city is doing the story on this racist rant. Headlines will be like controversial incident right why aren't we calling it racist it's a racist rant he was saying racist things mm. and i feel like all of us including myself across canada north america we could be doing a better job to call things out on what they are or do your research i've seen reporters say well i wasn't sure that was a hate group well then quickly do your research not hard to find out that he has ties to, you know, sons of Odin. Mm. It's not hard. And when we do, when we, we, we don't report the facts or don't call groups out for what they are, I feel like that emboldens these hate groups because they think 
we can do whatever we want. No, no media is going to call us out for, for, for spewing a little hate here and there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you know, you call something racist. There is some, there's still some shame with that. Yep. Like, people know that. Even the people who are racist, they know that being racist is shameful. So they're always trying to weasel their way out of it, right? Yes. And I, that's the key. That's the key, isn't it? Is to get all your facts, as get as much information as you can before you go passing a, a judgment on, on any of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would, I would like to ask you about, do you just, bla is it like kind of between you and other reporters, is it that you would never speak to these white supremacists as soon as you could indicate that, you know what, this guy's part of a hate group, he's spewing hate. Now his views are actually totally invalid. Is that pretty Not much accepted? Speak to them, but why would I err mm. and give a white supremacist a platform? Because at the right. end of the day, if you really think about that, if, if, you, if you keep doing stuff like that, if you mm. keep, you, first of all, you validate what they're saying. Right. You give, you're giving them airtime. And you're emboldening him and his hate groups to uphold hate and tolerance and white supremacy. Right. Right. No, I'm... So why, so why would, you, would you do that? And I know it's kind of a tough decision and a lot of people don't understand that and they think, okay, I need to make this fair. I need to get both sides. Right. But is that both sides? Racism shouldn't have a side. No, certainly hate doesn't have two sides, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, it's tough. I don't envy you sometimes choosing yeah, how, to, how to tell the story, people right? Get, yeah, because people, there's always going to be like someone angry with however you tell the story. There's always going to be some backlash mm -hmm. somewhere. But I think as the media, we play a big role in changing the narrative of how, about how we, you know, tell these stories and if we just, we just, we could be doing a better job. Is that right? All of us. Yeah. Okay. Myself included. Sure. We all could just be doing such a better job. A better job of even, um, you know, including BIPOC people and representing them in our stories. Mm. So many times, you know, like right now it's Black History Month. Mm. So I know a lot of people are focusing on black voices, but that should be kind of the norm the rest of the year. Well, you shouldn't need a month, right? Exactly. There shouldn't just be one month that, you know, we're all like, oh, let's do this story on black businesses. Let's focus on, let's focus on this. It should be, it should kind of be the norm. We should, yes. when our experts, we should, from our experts to our streeters. So the people that, men on the street, the people that we just talked to, I think we need to focus on getting diverse people all the time in our news stories because it better reflects the country that we are and mm -hmm. it also breaks that norm that white voices are the standard and that white mm. people are supposed to dominate the conversation is that um is that something you've encountered is that a, a deeply held because i'm white people as the, the standard white people as the dominant is that something that you've run up against personally where it's like you talk to a white person say and you can just tell that they're not seeing eye to eye with you they're not taking you seriously I mean, yeah, so many times, sure. even me, like I'm, I'm a person of color mm -hmm. and like, I've had my long history of racism. Maybe it's not as overt sure. as other people, but yeah, I've experienced it myself. And if I share my story, some, sometimes people don't understand or they'll say, well, 
I've had it. I've had a hard time in my life, you know, yeah. and they don't understand. I guess the term really became big this last year is white privilege and what mm -hmm. white privilege means. Sure. And a lot of people think, you know, when you say, oh, well, you, you're a white person, you have white privilege. They think that, I guess, privilege might be kind of a confusing term because they think, well, I was poor. I had nothing. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't have a privileged life. Like, I had to work for everything. True. However, your skin color was never a barrier for you. Mm. And they don't understand that because some it's a lack of education. At the end of the day, I don't think a lot of people have, you know, I think people m may be racist, but don't have that hate. I think it's all just based on ignorance. And sure. I can go into, so I can talk about that for like hours right now, <laughs> why people are like that, but I guess we don't want the time. If you're enjoying this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And now, back to the conversation. Oh, I hope we do have the time sometime. I'm trying to have this discussion more and more. And I don't know why, but I can't seem to stop myself. So if, if That's you... That's good, though. It's good that you um, have those questions and are seeking, you know, to find those answers by Thanks. talking to people. Because I, I do think that that is one of... That's how... You know, when you say, how do we stop all this hate? How do we, I think one of the, the ways is just listening to BIPOC people. BIPOC people tell their stories, just their listen. history. Just listen, yeah. Just it, just shut up and listen. Just shut up and listen. <laughs> Let me talk for I know. <laughs> next hour. No, but I think that is important because yeah. I think so many times we always want to compare ourselves to what that person experienced. And it's like, yes. at the end of the day, you can't, you, you can't. can't do that. It's like, I'm a mixed woman. I've okay. experienced my, I've experienced racism throughout my life, but it would be so ignorant of me to compare my, my lived experiences with an indigenous person sure, or a black person. Like they all have had such different, more overt, I would say, experiences with racism. So I can't say, yeah, I've experienced it too. Mm hmm yeah. So it's it's learning for for so many people, um, and I think it also has to do with I guess our education system. I think okay our education system in Canada everywhere has has failed us because like think about your you know your history classes or what you learned in school, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking I kind of learned about residential schools, but it was definitely like glossed over. Um, yeah. Like, what did you, what did you take away from school? Honestly, I, I feel like there was so much time spent studying other nations, you know, Russia, China, uh, you name it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's important. World War II, obviously we have to understand all of that, but to not even touch on what was, could be classified as a genocide, if not a major cultural sort of war. It was a genocide. It was okay. a genocide. And I don't Call it think what it is. those words were even, like, I can't remember, no. I can't remember, but I'm like pretty sure those words were never used when describing our indigenous people. It was very glossed over. And I think that's one of the reasons why people don't understand right now what you know intergenerational trauma is and what they're going through. And there's no compassion or sympathy. No. So many people are ignorant. Like I remember, we really focusing on Germany, the Nazis. I remember we had to read 
and Frank's um, diary, which is all important. Don't get me wrong. That's important. Yes. But I just remember that takeaway, right? But like, why couldn't we read something about our indigenous people suffering? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Why wasn't that a mandatory course? I'd love to know. Maybe that's a story you could do if you're interested in suing your career. <laughs> Pro- yeah, ask, the, ask, the, ask some of these school boards how they choose their curriculums. Push yeah. them, you know? There have been a lot of actually people, and I have done a few stories here in Alberta where it's kind of almost the same thing where um, black history has kind of been, I won't say erased, but necessarily not all black history is in the history books here in Alberta. Hmm. And a lot of um, the people I've spoken to, um, their ancestors had come from Oklahoma hmm. into Alberta back in the early 1900s, escaping Jim Crow and segregation. Mm-hmm. And they traveled all the way to Amber Valley. They helped build up this province from the ground up. Right. So they've been here for hundreds of years and they still get people say to them, go back to your own country. <laughs> I was here first, buddy. Exactly. But that, no, but pe- lots of people don't know that. I'd forgotten about that, but yeah, there's a whole community of, of black, like generations of them now who came to Alberta. Generations, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lots of people I've spoke to, their ancestors had come here in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So, and they're out, and then, you know, they're out protesting still. <laughs> yeah, who, who's the real Albertan at that point, you almost would have to ask. Mm-hmm. I want I really like what you said about white privilege, about... The biggest, maybe the first thing that white people could do when it comes to that is to take their ego out of it and just be like, okay, privilege, your skin color has not prevented you from really anything. That's not mm-hmm. an attack on you. That's it's really not even your fault in a sense. Yeah. Stop. And the other thing too is like saying, well, if somebody other than you had a traumatic, terrible experience because of, that doesn't somehow uh, negate anything that ever happened to you. There's not a finite amount of experience and identity We're, we've all suffered and we've all suffered in different ways the big thing that i've learned in the last few weeks is just to stop actually stop making it about me <laughs> and just shut up and and listen and try and hear as much as i can before passing any kind of a judgment mm-hmm. yeah and that's good i think that we all can uh, every single one of us can can do that and we can learn and understand and there's something what's it called i think it's called white fragility now where oh yes we're privileged and fragile (laughs) just give us a little bit of time we're we're getting there you know (laughs) but it's the it's the it's the concept that and it's all based out of ignorance but it's kind of like a a good example i guess of that um i don't know if you heard about it but i go was it this week a school in edmonton a high school student um, created this Instagram account. Oh, it's called something White Alliance. White Student Alliance. White Student Alliance. I was going to ask you and, about this, so please yeah, uh, go ahead. <laughs> so basically, um, it was to fight against anti-white racism and black supremacy. And oh basically, this student, yeah, wrote out this long thing about how white people are being targeted and blamed for their ancestors and what they did, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And yeah, it was very sad. And when I actually spoke to an expert about that, 
he basically told me, you know, it stems from ignorance. So yes. first of all, there is a one silver lining there because it shows that racism is being talked about in schools right now. Hmm. It is, right? Sure. Maybe more so than ever before, right? So that's why this kid is obviously confused. Then the expert also said, you know, it's difficult because these kids are learning about racism maybe for the first time in their lives in school, in high school, let's say. Sure. Or, and I spoke to a university prof, he said he's seen that in his classrooms as well. The first time you're learning about racism is in a university class or in high school. So of course it's very, you, you feel like it's just an attack on your people right. in a sense, right? right. Which it's not, but you don't you don't get that um, historical context at all. Mm -hmm. So all you're hearing is my group is like this and this and this and this, and I've had a hard time. Why are they saying that I have white privilege? Right. So they don't get that historical context from earlier on in their lives, and then they just hear maybe snippets about you know this and that, and that's I think another reason why we're seeing some of these things online and it's it's not the it's a kid right you can't say that the, this kid has is racist but he he's not figured it out quite yet he has he doesn't get it right it's obviously it's ignorance and he doesn't get it right so that's where do you find that's where a lot of this comes from is just ignorance like the opposite of what i was saying the refusal to listen to other people's voices and just to go ahead with your own yeah, and that's ignorance, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's ignorance. But I also think our social media right now is playing such a big part in that because, you know, they don't, some, yes. lots of these people, they refuse to listen to BIPOC people and they, you know, are scared. They don't understand. They don't have the historical mm -hmm. context. They don't want to hear the historical context. And it's also like, where are they going to get this historical context? They don't know where to look. Yeah, not the schools, apparently. Exactly. So if they're if they're friends with people who have similar views on mm -hmm. Facebook, that's all they see. That's all they see all the time. And sometimes there's some, you know, very hateful things out there. And it just, it gets them angry and misinformation. Right. And the, it's unfortunate because in some ways they are, they themselves are internalizing a feeling of victimization, which that's, that goes on all races, you know, it's, that to me isn't productive either. You know, it's like this, this guy who wrote this and I was just looking at the page. It's a lot of like low level. It, it looks like it was written by a high schooler, but he, he's now taking on this feeling of somehow being victimized because of his skin color. Mm -hmm. That to me is not productive at all to tell someone that they are a victim because of something they can't change. What do you, what do you think about that well, it was interesting um, listening to, well, when I, when I read his piece, because when I was even speaking to some experts, it was very similar language to what we've been hearing before. Okay. Based on ignorance, it's based on, you know, fear mm -hmm. that it's, that people are hating you for, thing is, there's no such thing as white people, there's no such thing as black supremacy because black people are not systemic racism has to do with, you know, institutional power. And one of the institutional power is one of the, um, 
what word I'm looking here for. I'm just, uh, just talking around the circle. No problem, no problem, um, no problem. But <laughs> has to do with institutional racism sure. as well. So that's why black people are not in power, let's say, mm. right? So that's why there is no such thing as black supremacy. And then on the other hand, that's, so when he says, you know, he's fine, there's, there's just no such thing. Well, there could be, there, yeah, there's definitely no nowhere where it's really in action where black people are keeping white people or people of color are trampling on white people through institutional power. Definitely <laughs> not here anyway, That right? But what, so what has been kind of the public reaction to that? Like, is, does anybody, is anybody saying like, is everyone just shitting on this kid or is anybody actually thinking this kid has got it wrong, but let's, at least he wants to talk. He's, he's, he's not seeing it clearly, but can we find in there a kernel of some product of, here's a young person who, here's an opportunity to change this guy, actually. And I think maybe that might be the way the school might be taking it. They couldn't give us details. Like they said there's an investigation, okay. but they couldn't give us details um, about what that, that investigation is going to look like. So he's a kid. I, I don't think he's going to get charged or anything. I think it's going to be education. Good. Even the school was kind of like, this means that we need to, th this means that we need more education on anti-racism in our schools. So I think they're going to fight the racism with education. And good. I think that's probably the only, that's a good way they can do it because the kid's in school, right? Yeah. I mean, he's there to learn. <laughs> exactly. Right on. Do you see social media generally as being part of the, you said almost it's part of the problem because it allows like radical ideas to spread mm -hmm. in a necessarily like condensed form. You know, it's almost like the fast food of ideas. It's like, here's just a, Whereas the podcast here, we can string out ideas all day long and really get down to the... <laughs> but you have white supremacists on podcasts. Um, mm. You have them doing live videos or videos on YouTube, on Facebook. Sure. Sometimes on Facebook, they can get reported. So then they can't go live for... Or on Facebook jail, so they can't go live for um, a month or something. But their videos will still pop up. Sure. They're still doing YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. still spewing hate, misinformation. And sometimes they, they are under the disguise of something else, right? They are pretending okay. to fight for, right now it's COVID, right? So they are under the disguise of, um, we are fighting for our freedoms. We don't want things to be shut down. We right. don't want to wear masks. We don't believe COVID is real. Right. So it's almost like a, a melting pot of what you would call it's, it's fundamentally kind of conservative worldview, right? You know, like one, one skin color, uh, small tribes, you know, keep the government influence out, keep people far right, far right, yeah, far right. but okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Is there, are there inroads to be made there where you like, maybe I've asked you this enough and you just don't want to answer. <laughs> <laughs> What is, is there, like, obviously some people, we're not going to redeem them. They're just, I mean, like that guy who put his tablet up in that one story to show that in your story where there's the guy and he's showing on his tablet how he's going to beat up somebody much smaller than him. Like, that guy's probably not redeemable, right? But are there inroads to be made in those communities? Or is, like, at what point do we just cut them off and quarantine them? <laughs> I've definitely heard stories about 
people who used to be a white supremacist and who have um, experienced something that changed their their view on society. So I have heard stories about that. I don't think everyone could fall into that, but I think I think that lots of people are just so ignorant and that if they are, if they get education, if they let people, BIPOC people talk to them, mm-hmm. hear their stories, I think they could change a hundred percent. Yeah. Good. I don't, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't, I feel like the hate is uh, misunderstood and misplaced in fact. So okay. yes. I, I just don't think they understand, you know, they, they see somebody of different color, let's say, and sometimes they think, oh, that person's taking my job, but they don't understand. And there's so much misinformation out there. They just don't get it. It's like right now, um, this, a lot of people from one side is calling um, the anti-racism protesters, they call them Antifa. Right. I don't know if you heard about that. I, yeah, this is patriots kicking Antifa out of their town. It's like, oh, is that what that is? Yeah, and it's like they don't understand even what the word Antifa means, but lots of the time they get their their news from somewhere else. Sure. <laughs> and they don't get, you know, Antifa actually means anti-fascist, mm-hmm. and either you're a Nazi or you're Antifa, and they right. don't get that, right? But everyone knows being called a Nazi is bad. Mm-hmm. It's at least what our history has has uh, told us is being called a Nazi is bad. Yeah. So they know that, but I, I don't think they even get that term. So they throw that term around and they don't get it. Right. So I wonder how much of this, obviously it's systemic. We can, uh, we can understand that big time and it, it, it's, it moves through generations. You know, people learn it. At what point does personal responsibility come into this discussion and we, we stop blaming people in groups and we just start saying each person has the decision to make here. And it's really the fundamental decision of good and evil. You know, do you, do we have to start holding people to a higher standard in every aspect of their life? Oh, for sure. And I feel like people shouldn't be allowed to, to spew this hate and be online. I feel like they shouldn't have an online platform hmm. to spew hate. And I know people are probably going to say, well, freedom of speech, yada, yada, yada. You can say what you want, but you shouldn't be able to spew hate. Right. You shouldn't have hateful videos. Right. You shouldn't have pictures where, you know, your logos from <laughs> Sons of Odin's or something, mm. infidels. Like, that shouldn't be allowed. Right. It's almost like, I don't know where we draw the line at hate speech. It's... I don't know, but like, that's the thing. Sure. There's a very, very thin line between what hate speech and freedom of expression. And I think that's where a lot of people are confused. Sure. Reporters, um, police officers, there's that it's such a thin line, but experts have been calling for stronger hate crime, hate speech laws. Mm. Okay. Because right now there is that thin line where it's, Oh, that might not be, that might be um, not against the law, but they that person shouldn't say that. And like, lots of people don't understand what the laws are, what they can and can't say. So they just think, oh, I have freedom of expression. I can say whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, at what point is your expression really, okay, freedom of, how about freedom of self-expression? Why don't you just keep it to yourself then? Because once you start to say things that you're expressing views about other people, mm-hmm. that's, I think where you start to go down. Like I, I, 
saw some really horrendous stuff from one of those guys talking about one of the one of the activists. I mean, one of the central Alberta mm-hmm. white supremacist guys doing these YouTube rants about somebody else. It's like, yeah, I watched all those videos. Um, and we're better. Yeah. Are we better yeah, for having October. seen that? I don't think so. <laughs> no, not at all. I remember it was like a joke with Rod and a couple of the reporters because I'd be like, "It's Friday night, you guys. I'm going down the rabbit hole." Oh, and no. I watching all these videos back to back and it's like hour long videos Mm -hmm. and i'm just watching i don't know why i was watching just (laughs) no like they weren't even saying anything productive or intelligent but Mm. i just couldn't stop why and why i don't know there's just for me i think i've just always been a curious person Mm. so i always just want to know why they're so ignorant like why won't they listen to BIPOC people. So for me, I'm just always so curious. Um, and I guess I don't really have an answer for you today about that. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't really want to know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think sometimes some, some people in that group, they do think they're the good guys. They think that they are standing up for our rights and our freedoms. And you right, know, one of the right. things that they say a lot, actually, is they say, I don't see color. I can't be racist. Or I'm part indigenous. Or Mm. I'm married to an indigenous woman. Or I have a black friend. I can't be racist. Mm. And like, that's what they say. And then they spew hate. And I feel like when they say, oh, I have a a black friend or I'm part indigenous, it's their way of being like, that's my proof. I can't be racist. Mm, But it's not true. You can be racist 100% and still have people of color in your life. 100% you can still be racist. That doesn't doesn't just take it it away. Yeah, no, great point. And also I would say the colorblindness thing, I don't see color. Like that's an inherently racist statement too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they, and that's why, and they don't know this, but that's another reason why it's like, okay, well, you don't see color. Okay. Then that's exactly why you don't see why I'm caught, like why these people mm. are calling for racial equity, because you don't see their pain. You don't see their trauma. Okay. You don't see what they go through their, their entire life. Mm-hmm. You don't see that and you won't accept it. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. You just assume it's the same as yours, which it's not. Mm-hmm. I want to use that word equity. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, what does racial equity, as you understand it, what does that mean? Every time I think of racial equity, okay, I'm going to throw it back to this, um, this picture that I saw online. And it's a picture of a kid um, trying, uh, two kids trying to look, um, I think they're watching a baseball game, but there's a fence in their way. So they're trying to, see, okay. and one kid is tall. One kid's really tall, so he can see the game. He's having a great time. And the other kid <laughs> is a bit shorter. So inequity means the shorter kid can't see the game at all, but they're standing right, right next to each other. Sure. Racial equality means that the kid ha- is standing on um, some books. Like an apple box or something. An apple box. So they both can see the game. Racial equity means the fence isn't cut down a little bit. So they both can see. Hmm. Right. Equality is like they're all given the same size apple box and the, the short kids still well, can't equality see. Equality is you're giving people who don't, um, you're giving people who don't, who you're giving people 
um, more opportunity kind of thing. And racial equity is changing the system ah. to make it equal, I think. That's how I interpret sure. it. Sure, no, I like... Making it equal for everyone. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I used to say racial equality all the time. And then when I would be interviewing BIPOC people and um, many groups, they, would, they kept saying equity. And that's when I'm like, oh, okay. And I mm. did a little bit more research. And okay. So that, so yeah, so there, there is equality and then there's equity and lots of people are just calling for equity. They just, they want to change the system. I think before it was, let's help people who need help. Um, and now it's like, no, we want to go further and we want to actually change the system. So it's equal for every single person. I see. I see. That's useful then. So equality would be everybody gets the same Apple box and sometimes the short people still can't see. Well, equality is the short people. Short people get the box. Sure. And the tall person doesn't get a box. Gotcha. Because so that's equality, right? So he doesn't need it. But you're you're giving a handout, or not? I won't say handout, but you're you're helping out people who who need help. But yeah, you're giving them what equity they need. is just is changing the system so that everyone has a fair chance of watching the baseball game. And that's fundamentally it, right? It's like because yeah. of my race or my skin color, I don't necessarily need anything different given to me but I need to be given the same opportunities. Mm -hmm. Or the system needs to change. Sure. So that everyone. To see me as equal to. Yeah. So I will be treated like my white counterpart. Right. Simple, really, in theory. It sounds, yeah, it sounds simple, but. <laughs> well, because there's, there's deeply held beliefs and implicit bias, if you will, people don't realize how they are furthering the system as it is you know what i mean like it's the systemic racism sure but it's the people inside the system who who build out that racism yeah in my view anyway i'm trying to be less opinionated but i'm if, <laughs> if i say something that doesn't make sense please call me on it yeah well i i think with like the word systemic racism a lot of people think the system is full of racists and that's not it. That's not true. Okay. It basically just means that it it means that systemic racism stems from, you know, institutions and in power throughout history. Right. So it's racism that's been embedded in normal practices within all aspects of society, which continues to exclude one group while mm. promoting the other. Excluding one, promoting the other. I, okay. I And lots of people who are in this system. Right. I won't say lots, but some people who are in the system are not aware of what's happening, right? If it doesn't directly affect you, why would you be aware of it? Like, why would you really, why would you care unless you seek out that information? Right. But if it's not directly impacting you. Why change? Yeah. Why change, right? It looks fine from where I'm standing, you know. Mm -hmm. Can you, do you have a sense of like what some some metrics or some like some concrete ways that we could point to systemic racism and break it out of the system and say, that's a racist act. I think it, well, I think first, I think people who are in, part of these systems have to come out and they have to admit that their system is racist hmm, and, or there is systemic racism in there. And I know a start. lot have, yeah, RCMP um, have been saying that across the country, you know, they've admitted, you know, our, um, there is systemic racism within RCMP. Actually, a few months ago, sometime last year, last spring, ooh, I think it was a year ago, hmm. 
Um, Rod actually asked the Alberta RCMP, ooh, I'm blanking on his name, but he was an RCMP officer. I think he's the head of RCMP in Alberta. Okay. I'm not sure actually, but he asked him a great question. He asked him if he thinks the, um, the RCMP are systemic, their systemic racism in the, within RCMP. And the initial answer was no. Few Speaks. days later, he backtracked and he admitted that there was systemic racism within hmm. the RCMP. Thank God, you know, at least so, you got to start yeah, somewhere. You have to start somewhere, and it's good to admit it because once you've admitted that, that means okay. What can we work on? What needs to be done mm -hmm. to to try and fix this problem that we've had for hundreds of years? Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Well, like they say, when you're addicted to something, admitting it is probably the first step, right? It is. Yeah. Uh, in your, in your travels as a journalist and your coverage, um, have there been other places besides the police and RCMP where you've seen like blatant racism in action, it, like racism t taking place on a policy institutional level? Well, when I was in Thunder Bay, I was there for three years. Okay. And one of the biggest stories that came out of um, Thunder Bay was um, was this inquiry into seven to the deaths of seven Indigenous students who had um, come to Thunder Bay to study. Mm. They were okay. in elementary or high school students, and they came from different um, First Nations. Okay, to come to. I, um, to, I wanted to say Edmonton, to come to Thunder Bay and study. And these seven students, all of them died so tragically. Some died right next to the river. Some, yeah, I can't remember all, but no lots problem. of them died so tragically and so young. And a lot of advocates there were saying that police mishandled their deaths. Hmm. And they were, you know, citing systemic racism there because um, when, you know, they're investigating, you know, um, a high school Indigenous student who was missing, they feel like they're, de um, from the very beginning of their investigation, it wasn't, they weren't taking it as seriously as they could, let's say, mm. if it was a white student sure. missing or a white student who died and, or who's found out, who's found dead next to the, to the lake the bay <laughs> mm -hmm. so okay so that and that's hard to take and so were you recovering that story or you were just around when it was... um yeah i was covering the inquiry for a bit it was a long time ago so i can't really remember all the specific details no but problem. i think that's when i was really first introduced to systemic racism okay. um in in institutions okay yeah i mean there's no easy answer right I'm not expecting anybody to have an answer in a one hour conversation, but I, uh, I do appreciate your time and you've enlightened me on a lot of things. So. Well, thank you for having me. I hope I, I didn't just ramble there for an hour. No, no, you were good. <laughs> you were kind of, no, but that's, that's what it is. Like you might come from a place like in journalism and media news media where it's like, it's gotta be concise, right? It's gotta be bam, but here's a time for you to, to, to ramble if, if you'd like to ramble. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I encourage you to seek, you know, voices of um, people who are in the thick of it, who have experienced 
racism or who do experience overt racism mm -hmm. every single day because those people are you know they have it's just listening to their stories you it will change the way um you see things which is kind of what i'm hoping for and hopefully yeah. maybe in some way it could allow them to better understand what happened to them and maybe we can get to some productive place of Maybe trying to help, you know, if that were possible. <laughs> mm -hmm. One more time on that documentary that's coming out Monday. Where can we see it? So the documentary airs this Monday, February 22nd um, on City TV at 10 p.m. It's called Veracity in Their Own Words. Beautiful. Rochelle, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it and then I'm going to talk to you about it. And I hope Yes, that'd be great. Okay, right on. Thank you very great. much for your time. Thank you. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review. Mm -hmm.